mediocre. I make that joke every week. You guys need more caffeine. It's, it's 1030. You should be awake, moving, full of large joy. Well, today we celebrate a very special day in the life of the church, and that is Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is incredibly important because we're talking about the birth of the church. It was on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, and all of a sudden they were transformed, and they began sharing their faith, and thousands of people started joining and becoming the church. And so it's incredibly, I think, appropriate that we talk or conclude our series on sharing our faith with, on Pentecost Sunday. And today I'm actually going to share with you a little bit of details on how you can share your faith. So it'll be a great time if you've got a pen, some paper, to take some notes, take some note on your phone, whatever it is that will help you remember just a few basic things. Because I really hope through the invitation of the Holy Spirit that you will get an opportunity to invite someone into a relationship with God. That doesn't mean you're saving the person. You are just God's instrument in that moment to bring salvation into their their life. There can be few things in this life that are greater than inviting someone into a relationship with God. And if you get to be a part of that, you open I know it's terrifying, right? I know it's a terrifying idea, the idea that you might be a person who would be there for a person to say, this is who Jesus is. And yet, it is so incredibly wonderful. In fact, this actually, something similar to this happened to me not too long ago. I was doing a wedding and was doing communion at the wedding. And as usual, I'm a last minute person. I don't really think ahead that, oh, I need communion elements because there's communion. And so I call up Lisa. I'm like, Lisa, can I borrow, uh, well, not really borrow the bread and the juice because you can't put it back. But anyways, can I grab some communion elements from the church and take them to the wedding? She's like, sure, but make sure you bring back the grape juice, right? Because we don't have that much and we're going to need it tomorrow. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. I never forget anything. (laughs) So Sunday morning, I was going to Randall's at 6 a.m. buying grape juice. And I'm focused, right? So like, I'm a task-focused person. That's just who I am. I love people, but when I'm in like task mode, it's like I have blinders on. I don't even see other people around me. I'm like, I am getting grape juice, and then I'm going to go to the, to the, the church, and I'm going to practice my sermon, and, and that's just all I have on my mind at that point. And so I'm going through the checkout line, and I'm wearing, I happen to be wearing my pastor shirt. So I, y'all have seen me wear it a few times. It, it has my name. It says Pastor of Rockbridge Church. I really should probably pay attention when I'm wearing this shirt because I literally says David McMahon, Pastor of Rockbridge Church. So there's no hiding and pretending I'm not a pastor when that happens. And I'm only buying grape juice. Like who goes to Randall's at six o'clock on a Sunday morning and buys grape juice, right? Probably just a pastor. So I'm there, I get my grape juice, I'm in line, and this person recognizes me, and, oh, you're the pastor at Rockbridge, I've been there a few times, Uh, and we start up this conversation, but it takes a whole moment for me to get out of my task-focused mindset and think, oh, this is an opportunity to invite someone, and he happened to be a college student, so I invited him to be a part of our college ministry that we started here. That's as simple as it is a lot of times. It's just getting out of the way, waking up and seeing the people around you and being willing to be invitational and say, hey, come to my life group. Hey, come to worship. Hey, my church is having this fun event. Bring your kids and and join us. We sometimes have to get out of God's way so that God can move us in the right direction because we believe, right? We've talked about this, that the gift of knowing Jesus is the greatest gift that we can give someone. 
and that offer of abundant life and eternal life is just incredible. Why wouldn't we want to share it? And today, we, we, you know, we've been talking about that we believe in relational evangelism, right? That you first should make friends, that God has put people in your spheres of influence, in your uh, neighborhood, at work, at your school, uh, with your mom's group, whatever, your, your hobby group, that those are the people that God has put in your life for you to share your faith with. And we're called to be in relationship, to truly love people the way God loves us. And then once we're in relationship, we're continued to walk with people. That's what Pastor Randy preached on last week, that we're supposed to journey with people, that it's not just, hey, I'm your friend and we move on, but we're going to journey in life with you. And then when the right moment happens, hopefully we will get an opportunity to share our faith with them. Or maybe it's a one-moment situation where God just puts you at the right place at the right time like I was, or like our scripture that I'm about to read. Because that happens too, that sometimes God just puts you in a place and expects you to show up and do what a follower of Jesus should do, which is to be willing to share faithfully and boldly. But to do so, we have to know how, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So our scripture today is a really fun and fascinating scripture. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible sometimes, I just start laughing because some of these stories are incredibly humorous. And so as we go through this story today, I hope that you can find the humor in this really interesting story. And this is uh, Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip at noon, that's very specific, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Okay. So Philip, this is Philip the the deacon, not Philip the apostle. I know it can get really confusing when some of these people have the same name. So Philip the apostle is one of the 12 disciples. Philip the deacon is one of the seven people assigned by the church after the 12 apostles are like, hey, we're not going to worry about setting tables for people. We're not going to serve food. So you guys need to appoint people who are going to make sure the widows are fed and the hungry are fed. And they appoint seven people. One of them is Stephen. Another one is Philip. All right, so he's a newly appointed deacon is a word that some people use here. And he get, the angel of the Lord says, go to this road at noon, okay? Very specific. This is very specific. And it says it's a desert road. And so he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. So this is really interesting. So you have an Ethiopian, which obviously not from Israel, in Jerusalem who had come to worship. Okay? And then we get this little nugget that he is a eunuch. Now, sometimes as pastors, we have to explain things that, (laughs) you know, that are very interesting. So eunuchs, of course, are males who have been castrated. If you want to know more, you can ask Pastor Randy. (laughs) He's available after the service. But the interesting thing about eunuchs, they were made that way so that they could, you know, do different official things in kingdoms and not want to take power because if you couldn't have kids, you wouldn't want to take power. Sometimes they were guards for harems, you know, for kings to, and all their wives and all those things. So they made them eunuchs so they could not have children. It very specifically says in Deuteronomy that a eunuch cannot enter into the house of God. So here is a man, not from Israel, from Ethiopia, no whole other area, 
coming to Jerusalem because he's desperate to know about God and to worship God. So much so that after he goes to worship, he opens up and he buys scripture and he's reading it in his chariot, going down the road, reading it in his chariot. This is an important official. He took care of the entire treasury of Ethiopia. And so he's reading it. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you're reading? So again, imagine what this story is telling us. You have this important official riding down the road in a chariot, you know, horses, chariot. And all of a sudden, this random stranger runs up next to him and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? This is an interesting story. This is bizarre. This is not out of the ordinary. And could you imagine also being Philip, right? Oh, go catch that chariot. I'd be like, God, I'm not a runner like that. I can't do that. I can't go catch that chariot down a desert road. Are you kidding me? So he goes and he catches him. And their man replied, and it's funny. Again, he's in his chariot. Philip is literally running next to him. The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb and sit with him. If I was Philip, I'd be like, let me get in your chariot first. You know, <laughs> this running's hard. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked, tell me about whom does the prophet, tell me about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with the passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. What would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's Spirit suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again. But he went on his way rejoicing, and Philip saw himself, found himself in Azotus. He traveled through the area preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. So again, baptism happens, poof, Philip is gone. You can imagine, I mean, just, just think about if this happened to you for a second. All of a sudden you get baptized, the person you baptize is gone, and then you just go about your day. And then if you're Philip, you're dunking somebody in some water, he comes up, and all of a sudden you're in another location. It's an interesting story that we have today. But I think it tells us so much about faith and about sharing our faith. First of all, when God calls, we need to respond. Now, you probably are not going to get the angel of the Lord telling you to go down a desert road, although you might, but what will probably happen is you will get a nudge or you will be in a location and you will know you will have that opportunity. The Holy Spirit will compel you. You know, one of the gifts of Pentecost is we believe that God resides within us through the Holy Spirit. And that means God's guidance and God's love resides within us. And sometimes you're going to get a little nudge that says, you need to be here at this point, at this time. Don't ask questions. That's happened to me numerous times. One time I was at home from seminary living with my parents, and God just said, you need to go to the track and run. And I did. And at that point, I got to share my faith with somebody. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will nudge you and push you towards that. The second thing that this passage talks about that is incredibly important is that a eunuch is someone who did not have an opportunity to be a part of God's family. Think about this. He was an outsider of outsiders. He wasn't Jewish. He was Ethiopian. 
He was a eunuch who couldn't even go into the temple, right? And here, because of Jesus, he is able to be a part of God's family. So God often calls us to go and preach to the outsider. So whoever that might be in your life, a lot of times it's the lost and the lonely and the broken. So many times in, in, in our world, we just want to stay where it's comfortable, right? We just want to stay with people who look like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us. But God is always on the margins. God is always outside. God is like there where the people are struggling the most, and that's where God wants God's people. It's so much so that he creates this miraculous encounter with Philip and the eunuch. Another interesting thing is, so the Ethiopian church has an ancient and historic faith. Now, we don't usually think of places in Africa and Christianity, but Ethiopia has been a center of Christianity since the very beginning. What if one of the reasons is this eunuch? Have you ever thought about that? This eunuch goes back, and he doesn't just keep his faith to himself. And there were probably some Jewish people, Chris and I were talking about this, Ethiopia's right there south of Egypt, and some of the Jews probably stayed, and there were probably some Jews there. And so the eunuch goes back to his people, and he proclaims the good news. And he's first in a cycle of apostles that go and preach the good news to the Ethiopians. What if Philip had said no? What if Philip had said, I'm not going to a desert road. I'm not going to run next to that chariot. I am just not going to be there. Now, it's quite possible God would have provided someone else, right? Adam Hamilton asks a great question. What if the missionary who's coming to share the good news to you gets a flat tire? Or doesn't show up because it's too difficult? Or doesn't show up because maybe they don't have the right tools? Or doesn't show up just because they don't want to? Where does that leave the person who's supposed to receive the good news? Because Philip responded to God, a whole nation was brought Christianity. That's what happens when we are willing to share our faith. Maybe not the one person, but that person then goes and shares their faith. And then that person goes and shares their faith. And soon, whole families are saved just because you said yes to the Holy Spirit. Just because you said yes to the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I just want to give you a few tools on how to share your faith so that when you have this opportunity, when you know you've been nudged by the Holy Spirit, or maybe you have that neighbor that you've been working on, and you finally sit down over dinner, and they look you in the face, and they say, tell me why you believe in Jesus. Who thinks that they would be equipped right now to share the good news if their neighbor said, I want to know who Jesus is. Can you tell me more? I hope sometime soon we'll all be able to raise our hands. And if you don't know, you're not going to learn everything you need to know in, in one 15, 20-minute sermon. I don't think that, but I'm hoping to give you a few things. But that's why we need to be in life groups. That's why we need to work on transformation together. That's why we have these Bible studies like Disciples Path that's starting up on the 23rd before church at 9 a.m. So you can show up, you can learn a little bit, so you're a little more prepared when God nudges you in that direction. That's why we do these things. It's not just to do them. We all do it because it's about our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So here's a tool. If you want to take notes, you want to write in your phone, uh, this, is, this is kind of the way I think about it. And I think I have an image up there. <clears throat> yes. All right, I call this three-story evangelism, okay? You think, look at this picture. 
There's their story, your story, and God's story. And in the moment where you're sharing your faith, you're at the middle of that Venn diagram, right? That's where the, the person and you and God are coming together in that moment. For Philip and the eunuch, it was in the chariot. For you, it might be at the grocery store or in your neighbor's house or at the track or at school or even at work when it's that moment of sharing your faith. And the first thing I think that we are called to do is to listen to the person's story. Now, we don't actually hear that described here, but how do we know if Philip didn't get the man's story that he was a eunuch? How did we know he's from Ethiopia? How do we know that he worked in the treasury? Do you see what I'm saying? Luke doesn't really care about how he learned that, but apparently Philip came back and told this story and shared all these details. So in the midst of this conversation, Philip was learning about the eunuch's story. He was hearing, he was seeing where he was broken. He was seeing where he was lost. I bet the eunuch shared about his struggles of wanting to know more about God, but being in a eunuch and not really feeling welcome in the Jewish faith. And then he was able to share the good news about Jesus Christ. So the first thing is listening. What a gift is listening. So much today, we don't listen to each other. We're just waiting for our opportunity to speak. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation doing that? Because I know I do. Where you're having a conversation and you're not really paying attention because you just want to get your point across? Give people in your life the gift of listening. Listening and seeking understanding is not the same as agreement. You can at least try to understand another person's perspective. Hear, listen, pay attention. Let them know you're paying attention. So first thing is we listen to their story. The second thing is that then we have to be willing to share our story. Now this isn't just some fact about yourself or some interesting thing like, I used to jump out of airplanes. I really did jump out of airplanes. But how has God impacted your life? And what you'll find when you listen to the story, to their story, is that this is probably a person who's had a similar life experience that you have. When I go to camp or mission trip, one of the stories I generally share is about being adopted. And it, I, I tell you without fail, anytime I preach a sermon on being adopted, there is someone in that room, in that building, that needed to hear that. And then for the rest of the week, we're growing that relationship. And I'm able to share with them that God loves them and how deeply God loves them. There's something about your story that's a gift to other people about how God has transformed your life. And then, when the time is right, we have to be willing and able to share God's story. And I shared this a few weeks ago, but uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. I see God's story as a six-act play. And just really basic, God creates a good world. Every single day of creation, God says it's good until God creates humanity in the image of God and God says it's very good. And God gives humanity that job to rule the earth. That's creation, that's act one. Act two is the fall. We get the story of Adam and Eve saying that they know how to rule the world better than God. There's two trees in the Garden of Eden they can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now I actually think God would have given them the knowledge of good and evil, they just weren't ready for it. And so humanity takes it. And what's so sad about the fall, we go from the first sin, which is disobedience to God, to the second sin in chapter four of Genesis, which is brother murdering brother. And that's how sin is. It seems like it starts out kind of small and just gets huge in our lives. So because of the fall, sin entered our life, and at that moment, God began working God's plan to reconcile humanity back to God. And so we hear the story of Abraham, 
And Abraham's told that he will be a blessing to many nations, that his descendants will be a blessing to many nations. Eventually we get to Israel, and we're told that they're a nation of priests. But the problem is, Israel fails. They don't do their job. They worship other idols, and so they fall too. And so in the fullness of time, we get to the fourth chapter, which is Jesus. And at just the right moment that God became human and dwelt among us, lived a perfect, sinless life, called the disciples, taught them how to live, was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And in that death was separated from God and took all the sin and suffering of God on his body. Do you think that has gospel message to people? Do you think you know people who are suffering? Our God loves humanity so much that he chose to become suffering. In fact, it tells us in Corinthians that Jesus became sin so that those who knew no sin could be saved. The one who was sinless took all of the sin of the world onto himself so that you could be saved and so that you could share this message of reconciliation. And then Jesus leaves. You, you know, we would expect Jesus to rule, to take over and just kind of run the world at that point, but he leaves and he leaves it to the church. This is the most wonderful and terrifying thing. Jesus leaves it to you and I. Jesus leaves us the mission and he gives us the Holy Spirit. This is the fifth act, the church, which is what we're in right now. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul tells us we are ambassadors of Jesus to the world, that we're the light to the world, that we're supposed to share the message, the good news to all, all people everywhere. And then, of course, the sixth is when the ultimate story of redemption, when God will come and Jesus will reign and we'll have the new heaven and the new earth. So you have to be able to share people this kind of six acts of creation and existence that we're in. And then they really need four things that they need to know. And this is the gospel. The first thing is that you and me, everyone, needs Jesus. We're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not one, not one person in this world who does not live that does not need Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus, and it has to be Jesus, because Jesus is the one who took the sin of the world. So we have to say yes to Jesus. The second thing is that grace requires a response. It's not just good enough to know that we need Jesus. We have to say yes. God, grace is God's unmerited favor, what God has given to us in this world to, sit, to call us into relationship. And as Methodists, we believe that God is calling every single human at all times through his prevenient grace. But it requires a response. Humans have to say yes. That's the only thing we have to say because it's a free gift from God. But we have to say yes. It's not good enough. In fact, Jesus even says, even the devils, even, you know, devils believe, right? Even demons believe. But that doesn't mean they follow Jesus. So we have to say yes. The last thing, or the third thing is that that creates a new creation. Because we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden we're given the Holy Spirit and we're a new creation and we begin a journey, which is the fourth thing, that salvation is the beginning, not the end. Salvation is the beginning, that it's a lifelong journey. You need to let people know when you're sharing faith with them that just because you say yes to Jesus and you feel wonderful and you feel great doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle because that is being human. 
And hopefully over a lifetime of faith, we can be more and more like Christ. And this is why I think it's really important that we practice relational evangelism. So that when we bring a person to faith, when it's not one of those situations where it's a a Philip and the eunuch, right? That we can continue in relationship, that we can mentor them. Randy is amazing at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning a little bit at Randy's feet to, for new believers, just to sit down in conversation one-on-one and grow with you. So if you share your faith with someone, say, hey, do you want to meet up and read the Bible so that you can grow? Because this is a lifelong journey. So they need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Grace requires a response. You become a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and salvation is the beginning, not the end. As we think about this call, this command to share our faith, I want to read you once again the story of Pentecost. It's from Pentecost chapter, or Acts chapter 2. When Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound light from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, entered the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And then we're told that Peter, these disciples who were hiding, we are terrified, they begin to preach. And this is what it says. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community that day. I don't want you, but I want to experience a Pentecost. I don't want to just celebrate it like it's another Sunday. I want to see the Holy Spirit poured out in my life and in your life. But to do that, we have to be open. We have to be willing when the Spirit sends us to say yes to go down the desert road. We have to know, we have to grow in our faith to learn what we need to know so that we can share our faith with people. I think it would be a terrifying moment to be brought to that place by God and then not know what to say. There is a lot of things that God is putting on our shoulders. Jesus left, and then, I mean, Jesus is still here, but essentially he left to go be with God and send us the Holy Spirit and say, this is your job. This is your responsibility. I'm going to equip you, I'm going to send you, but you've got to show up. And so, on this day of Pentecost, may you be a people who are inspired by the Holy Spirit to go and share the greatest gift that's been given you, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And be willing and ready when God calls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.